<laughs> happy New Year. <laughs> Mr. Nichols, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm very well. I've, um, uh, well, I mean, I'm excited for the new year. Um, new year, new me. Have you got any, um, any resolutions or anything for 2022? So I've got access to a gym, free access to a gym. I've had free access to a gym for the past five years. <laughs> I've never gone. So this year I'm going to take advantage of access to a free gym. I'm going to go. Okay. Um, that's, that seems a pretty worthy resolution. I thought you were going to say you don't need to, but... No, I've, look, I don't, I don't want to pass comment, um, but I just think you could do with... Uh, all health benefits are, are worth chasing. That's, I'll just leave it there. What about you? Any, uh, any resolutions? Um, any resolutions? Um, wow, I haven't, um, I, haven't, I haven't come up with any like, really obvious ones. Uh, I want to try and, and just do more different things on weekends. You know, sometimes it's a bit easy just to do the same old stuff. I want to go and do kind of things I've not, not done before. So I'm noticing on the Zoom your hair getting a haircut isn't one of them, is it? No, the hair's still long. The resolution for that is to to keep growing. We should actually, given that we're on Zoom, we should address the elephant in the room. Which I is, didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk about it, but well, or the elephant in the room being that we're not in the same room. Um, elephant. You could say it's two elephants in each room. Well, yeah. I'm, Chris, has um, moved. Chris has moved. I have moved, um, but you know, despite that, I think it's a testament to the podcast that we that we keep it running. We also have got for twenty twenty two. We've got a new structure in place where it's once a month, every month we've scheduled it into the calendar. So, you know, frequent, consistent updates on on the economics and uh, pulling it into the syllabus. So, I think yeah. that'd be that'd be good for us. Yeah, and that's in response to intense consumer demand. So, you know, if anything, to me, that's a demonstration of the signaling function. Give the people what they want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully 2022, maybe that should be my resolution is, you know, more and, and, and better podcasts. Um, yeah. yeah. Any correspondence? Correspondence. Um, I had... Uh, a, a little bit of correspondence. Um, Sheila, uh, who lives in Hertfordshire, um, said she was loving the podcast um, and that it made her Christmas. Um, ah, yeah. Thank yeah. you, Sheila. Um, I had one from Chris, um, Chris from Queen's Park. I think he's got in contact before, but he was um, he's angling for more podcasts and he says, I can't wait for 2020. My year hasn't got started yet until I hear that first podcast. So, um, yeah. Well, Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Chris. Yeah. Right, well, should we... Um, I mean, we've got to keep, keep the customers happy. So, as we all know, the format is news items from the last month. Theme 1, theme 2, theme 3, and theme 4. Theme 1 and theme 3 being micro, theme 2 and theme 4 being macroeconomics. And not only do we look at these news items, we kind of discuss the how the A-level syllabus applies to them. Um, so which one should we start with? Theme, theme one, I suppose, has always been the way we go. Makes sense, yeah. And last time you were having a right old whinge. But, <laughs> uh, because I come up with better stories than you or better news items than you, uh, you decided, like all bad workmen, 
that it was not your fault, uh, but it was that you had been given unfair um, unfair treatment because you were having to pick the microeconomics ones, and that was harder. Yes. So I'm I'm on theme one this week. Um, so I have been rather busy. Um, so I haven't had an awful lot of time to look at this. But the thing that took my took my interest was an article about everyone's favourite bakery product chain. Crete uh, Manger. You and I mix in different circles, basically. <laughs> um, no, I talk, of course, about the national institution that is Greg's. Um, so Greg's available on every high street. Uh, not, I'm not sure there is one in Hampstead, actually. Um, uh, no, which is, well, we could talk about that. Yeah, telling. Um, yeah. But Greg's, so here's the news on them, because not everyone keeps as up to speed on Greg's as I do. Um, <laughs> so uh, Greg's chief executive, Roger Whiteside, he said that the decision to raise prices, they have raised their prices, uh, that was taken after an end of year review and that was and it was unavoidable. Um, he said that they try and absorb as many of the cost increases that get passed to us as possible and then put through price increases where they can't avoid it. Uh, and they've done that this year. The question is, does the inflationary pressure recede or go up? Uh, Greg said sales at its stores had eased in the run up to Christmas and staff absences increased due to the rise in uh, COVID cases. Like for like sales for 2021 were down 3.3% compared with pre-pandemic levels. Um, but in the fourth quarter, they were up 0.8%. Um, so what they've done is they've raised their prices. Um, and uh, as a result, um, it's impacting their profits. Um, so I wanted to talk about, about Greg's, um, not just their profits, their decision to raise prices, um, why that's happening and what the impact might be for them. Well, first of all, are you okay? I'm, I'm pretty gutted. Um, yeah. As you know, I'm thrifty. So seeing having to pay more for anything is, is difficult and immediately starts me thinking about, you know, what's the opportunity cost? And crucially, it's, it's more for the same thing. It's not paying more and getting more. It's more for the same thing. So what are these, what are these um, cost increases? Why has costs gone up? Say? It's not specified in the article, but I mean, I guess we know that if the costs have gone up, if we're using our kind of demand and supply analysis, what's, you know, how do we demonstrate the impact there of what's been described? Well, increase in cost of production, they're going to be less willing to supply. So therefore, supply is going to shift in and that's going to raise your prices. Yeah. And, and for people who are doing theme one, that section where chief exec was talking about how you know we never would pass on costs and, uh, unless we absolutely had to you know that that suggests that this is an purely an increase in cost that's changing it and actually for those people who who are in um, in the second half of their a level course that quote in itself might indicate to them something about the type of market structure that greg's are operating in um, or indeed the objectives of the firm or the or the objectives of the firm yeah or how responsive they think consumers might be to changes in price. I, well, if you had to put a number on it, what do you think the elasticity of Greg's is? Well, based on the idea that they, elasticity of demand, are you talking about? Sorry, elasticity yeah, yeah, yeah. of demand. Um, 
so based on on the fact that he said right we wouldn't wouldn't increase prices unless we absolutely had to that makes me think that for a percentage increase in price he's expecting a more than proportionate drop in in the quantity demanded i mean he's not going to say we're increasing prices because you know you suckers are going to buy it anyway <laughs> you, you know why we're increasing prices customers because we can um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no that wouldn't go down well so maybe maybe we should we should you know question how reliable a source uh, this man is um but i would assume you know off the evidence there i would assume that it implies um, relatively elastic. But the more interesting elasticity with Greg's, I think, is to do with income elasticity of demand. Go um, on. So what even is that? I, I only know PED. So oh, Joe, you have forgotten everything over Christmas. Okay. Um, income elasticity of demand, the measure of responsiveness of a change in quantity demanded to a change in um, incomes. So that that... The, the value of that will define whether a good is a normal good, one where you'd expect demand to increase with increases in income, a luxury good where you'd expect a more than proportionate increase in uh, demand for a good with an increase in income, or third type, and in many ways, I think the most interesting type, an inferior good, where mm. actually as incomes rise, um, demand would fall. Well, and... Given what you said earlier about... Hampstead hasn't got a Greg's and the incomes in Hampstead are typically high, that, yeah. would, therefore, that would therefore suggest that Greg's is an inferior good. Yeah. And that intuitively, you know, it's not the thing people say, right, you know, I'm going to be really extravagant today. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Greg's. Um, well, I do sometimes, but <laughs> uh, not, not everyone thinks like me. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree with you. I think Greg's probably um, not that they would they would advertise themselves on it, but um, I would suggest that maybe they are uh, an inferior good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with being an inferior good, is there? It means no. it means you cash in when things aren't going well in the economy. So in a recession, actually, that's a good time for Greg's because yeah. incomes are falling. Therefore, they're switching away from these high price sandwiches. Absolutely. Uh, and sausage rolls and buying, uh, buying Greg stuff. Well, and also we shouldn't be snobs about it, you know, inferior goods. But if there's demand for them, then, and, and as a society we're able to produce them, then, um, then great. That's providing, you know, that's satisfying consumer wants at, at lowest cost. That's, yeah. you know, that's, that's what we're all about as economists. So. And consumers are very satisfied, aren't they? I am particularly satisfied. Uh, <laughs> if you want some entertainment, um, Piers Morgan, on the other hand, wasn't particularly satisfied when Greg's recently produced, I think, some kind of vegetarian sausage roll. Oh, and the vegan. Yeah, he, he had a right paddy about vegan. it. Um, so if you want to watch him getting it in a tiz, then, um, then have a look for that online. Um, on that, so their competitors, I said earlier, were Pret. Have you heard of the Pret Index? No, go on. Ah. Oh. Because Pret is often um, frequented by city workers, and it's, it's the only city where Pret is more prevalent than Greg's, it, um, you can use it as a proxy for how well the economy is doing. I have so, heard uh, this, and I think I've, there's like the Pret to Greg's spread or something. And there are two, there's only like a couple of cities in the UK there where there are more Prets than Greg's or something like that. Something like that. Um, but that could be one for 
so we can understand basically understanding trends in the economy or across the country because office workers often get prets yeah. during lunchtime and so therefore more office workers is a sign of the economy doing well therefore more people having lunch therefore more people buying prets so um yeah it's an interesting one yeah yeah i've, I've seen prets being used as a kind of proxy variable for um people returning to offices as well as we kind of emerge out of lockdown and it as it being a way of trying to measure how people are going to work in the future um, so yeah we can get we can derive a lot of information um about the economy essentially from pastries yeah that's, that's an important thing to consider right should we move on to um theme two so theme two so macroeconomics um i was reading the economist as i do and I saw, this is in early-ish December, that the Bank of England has surprised investors by raising interest rates. So monetary policy is happening in the real world. And it's the first time it's changed in quite a while. The first time it's gone up in a while. Do you yeah. know what it's gone up to? No, you tell me. I know, But I know that's massive news um, because I know that the changing of interest rates is, is the only or one of, one of the few policy tools that are, are given to the Bank of England as being their main way of trying to achieve an inflation target by the government. So I know that's, that's their, one of their really big policy levers. So they've raised it from 0.1% to 0.25%, which okay. from the outside doesn't look like that much, but actually it's... A well, it's over-doubling. Yeah, so it's 250% increase. So... Um, they've done this because they're worried about inflation. So like you just said, Bank of England, their main prerogative is keep inflation at 2%. And they think it's going to be much higher than that. They think it's actually going to be, um, well, it was currently 5%. And they think it's going to go up to 6% in April 2002. Wow. So okay. why are they worried about 6% inflation? So what's, uh, what's the dangers of inflation? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it erodes the real value of, of anything that isn't going up in line with it, I, I, you know, you'd say. So that's mostly going to impact on, on people's savings and it's going to erode the, the value of people's wages if, if wages aren't going up in line with inflation. So yeah. um, that's, as, as me, someone with um, an income and a small amount of savings, that's you know, that's, that's a really detrimental impact to most people. Um, so, yeah, so real wages are going to fall if, um, yeah, if your income's not going up, your wages aren't going up, but all the prices in the shops are going up, what you can get with your income is a lot less. So you're going to be worse off, aren't you? Um, yeah, and that ultimately means, you know, you're less able to achieve the same standard of living as you were before. So people are worse off, not just in terms of having the value of their savings eroded, but, all, but mostly and most importantly, just the, their quality of life is, is, you know, is going to be detrimentally impacted. And that's, so that's for people and households, uh, but firms are going to be, be impacted as well, aren't they? They are. So they think, why do you think inflation is so high? So inflation's like, we usually historically been around 2%. The Bank of England has been quite good at keeping it 2%. So why do you think now it's around 5% going up to 6%? Well, I know that the A-level syllabus says there are two things that are going to cause inflation, and it's either demand pull inflation or cost push inflation. And usually, um, you know, 
especially with inflation being as high as it is, I think it's fair to assume there might be drivers on both of those um, at the moment. Yeah, so the economy, well, before this happening, it was, op it was opening up and people were spending more, um, which isn't necessarily the case now, but now it's probably going to be a bit more supply side, so costs are definitely going up. So we just spoke then about Greg's raising their prices. Imagine Greg's doing it, all the other sandwich shops doing it, and then lots of other shops doing it. All of a sudden, you've got a general rise in prices, which is inflation, isn't it? Yeah. So it's an interest, but what's really interesting, well, sorry, even more interesting is that England is the first, or Britain is the first of the big rich economies to actually increase interest rates. So the ECB, so European Central Bank and America and Japan haven't yet England have, despite, yeah. despite fears of Omicron. So people worry that Omicron is going to take hold even more so, and that's going to suppress demand. And yet you're suppressing demand that way, and you're also suppressing demand with high interest rates. So that could be a, a worry as well. Yeah, that, it's, it's getting slightly more advanced than kind of our theme too material but that's going to have knock-on impacts you know on the, on the value of the exchange rate you'd expect um and it's also an interesting idea you know will will raising interest rates be sensible particularly if there's a high level of debt within the, the economy um you know so, and i think there's been a lot of fear from from the developed world um where there has been globally very low interest rates for ever since 2008 um, to raise them we're out of fear of prompting a, a debt crisis um, that's that's drifting a little bit bit into kind of into second year economics but it'll be really interesting to see if those other economies then follow suit yeah um, you'd expect they would because I remember America have high inflation and other countries are going to be experiencing inflation so expect that they would but um but yeah it's interesting one little policy change one little conversation well a big conversation in the room so monetary policy committee all having a chat and agreeing actually and saying yep okay we're going to have interest rates are going to go up they press the button and then the actual implications and how that feeds through the economy i think it's quite interesting yeah and also it's um it's another really interesting thing that i think for, for in in other monetary policy changes the Bank of England for probably the last 15 years have always kind of said what they're going to do. They've always, they've never tried to, you know, spring a change on anyone. Um, and I think this one was less well kind of flagged up in advance. Um, so it's interesting. Maybe that shows a slight change in, in tack by the Bank of England in terms of, of how of their approach as well. Yeah. 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 So usually they like stability as a, as a key feature. And so imposing this, out of the blue almost is uh is not normal but um but yeah they said it was coming in the coming months but i don't think people expect it to be this soon no no certainly not before before christmas but i'll um, certainly be putting i'll certainly be putting all my money in my savings accounts so now i can get cash in on that huge interest rate well yeah you're gonna have to shift all of your savings out of that swiss bank account aren't you yeah um, yeah it should take a few days but yeah be worth it though <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Right. Should we move on to the theme three? Theme three is that's microeconomics, but for year thirteen. Microeconomics, but rather than looking at kind of bigger, bigger markets in terms of just demand and supply, we're now starting to kind of break it down and look at, at kind of individual firms a little bit more. 
um, and, and what's driving individual firms' behaviour. Um, so for this, I saw an article on BBC website and it said uh, it was about Samsung. Oh, yeah. Do you have a Samsung? I'm an iPhone man. Okay, all right. Um, that's all right. That's I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> completely uh, unrepentant iPhone user. Yeah. Not you should have to repent being an iPhone user. Okay. Apple and, Apple and proud, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, so tech giant, Samsung Electronics. Now, a lot of people listening will only know Samsung as being a, a manufacturer of mobile phones or uh, speakers or computers. Um, but more broadly, they, they produce microchips. And this, this story is about them as a producer of um, microchips. So they said they expect to post a 52% jump in profit for the last three months. Um, How? Exactly. I mean, Joe, would you like to have a 52% increase in your savings or your income? You certainly would, I assume. Yeah, I'm not sure the school could afford that, but yeah. No, I mean, they can, they can barely afford you at the best of times. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a massive change, massive change. So um, they estimate that it made 13.8 trillion uh, in that period. Um, and that will be its, its highest uh, level of profits for for a long time. Um, now, now that's where we have a thirteen trillion profit. Yeah, really? That's, that's sorry. This is it quoted in their domestic currency. So that's thirteen point eight trillion one of of profit, which equates to eight point five billion. Uh, oh, pounds, <laughs> which is still yeah. Sorry, thirteen point eight trillion. <laughs> Yeah, they're, uh, yeah they're, they're, I don't know where that would place them in terms of global economies. Biggest, I mean, bigger than England, though. No? Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's a huge amount um, of profits. And anyway, with our, our kind of economics hats screwed on now, um, we, there's then a bit of an explanation as to why. So it says that the company's earnings were boosted by strong demand for server memory chips and higher profit margins uh, in its chip contract manufacturing business. So demand is obviously on the rise uh, as we emerge from COVID. Um, it also highlighted that the firm had benefited from currency fluctuations. The Korean won continues to depreciate, making Korea's exports more attractive on the global market. Um, well, and well, how, does that, how does that work? Well, Samsung's a Korean company. So whenever they uh, are, are stating their profits, all 13.8 trillion of them, uh, they quote them in, in their own domestic currency. Um, so if they are producing uh, or selling goods abroad uh, and turning a profit as a globalized company, when they are re those profits are repatriated um, into their domestic currency, if that domestic currency is worth less, then the same amount of profits essentially appear to be worth more in, in Korean one. Mm. Um, Samsung spending on such things as employees bonuses and, oh, this is interesting. So actually this, um, the profit they made, it was forecast not to be 13.8 trillion. It was forecast to be 15.2 trillion. Um, so they actually perform, even though they've got these record breaking profits, still, still going to achieve lower than expected um, levels of profit. Um, and the reason for that is pinpointed as being Samsung spending on such things as employees' bonuses. 
uh, and marketing for its smartphone business. Interesting. Yeah. So what can you, you know, from what can you pluck from there? What information can you pluck from that that applies to, to theme three? Well, the fact that they're paying high bonuses and they're not making as much profit as they should have would imply that they're not profit maximizing. That would imply there could be some divorce of ownership and control. There could be the idea that the shareholders want profit, 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 whereas actually the people running, people in control, people running the business are just dishing out these huge bonuses to each other. So you are you're a ruthless capitalist, Joe, but yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a shareholder, you'd be saying, well, hang on, we've, we've missed forecasts. You know, we're, I was expecting to be getting a larger dividend on my share in this company. Um, and, and yeah, you could perhaps say if we're paying large bonuses, then, then that's underperformance um, or, or perhaps shows that, yeah, we, we're not performing as well as we could. Um, it, could be, um, it could be some ex inefficiency. You could argue that they're, they're not lowering costs as much as they should. Uh, I don't know. It could be the case or it could be. What is it um, that drives it? What, what's required for ex inefficiency to occur? Ex-efficiency is about costs not being as low as they should because of, um, it's to do with the level of competition, isn't it? But I call it managerial slack, isn't it? It's not, um, yeah. it's not lower costs from having to try, and, well, yeah, I suppose the fear of competition or the presence of competition is going to, the idea is it incentivizes them to be more efficient themselves. Yeah, so ex-inefficiency wouldn't occur if, you're in a perfectly competitive market. No, yeah, you're right. So it's a lack of competitive pressure that allows X inefficiency to kind of seep in to a company. Yes. Well, it's like, um, it's, 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 uh, you can see it not laziness, but you can see it as like an overconfidence where you don't need to be competitive, so therefore you aren't competitive. Yeah. Okay, so, so if, if we're building that case then about is this a demonstration of X inefficiency, you would then need to ask the question, well, how competitive is the market that they're in. Um, I would suggest not that competitive because, I mean, if you or I wanted to start our own microchip business, there's going there's to be, I'm sure we could, I'm sure we do a bloody good one as well, but I think it would be very high barriers to entry, wouldn't it? The idea, the technology you need, the brand loyalty you get is going to be we, the patents, in, patents involved. It's going to be huge high barriers to entry, which could explain the market structure as well. Yeah. If we did take over, a, given that our current business is podcasts, how what type of integration would that be if we took over a microchip uh, manufacturing company? So that's not in our supply chain, is it? So and it's not a competitor. So you could say it's a uh, conglomerate. Probably, yeah. I mean, obviously, we could we're... You argue it's we could make our own computers on our own microphones. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we get we're getting tenuous, but maybe that's part of our kind of global expansion plan. Um, listeners will have to wait for that one to, to, plan, to come to fruition. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So we digress. If um, so, it would it we couldn't set up our own company. Yeah. It suggests that it's a difficult market to enter, high barriers to entry, um, high super high high super non profits be made. I mean, thirteen trillion is a yeah. lot of profit to be made. Yeah, and. Um, and uh, so, sorry to interrupt, but there was, I remember reading there was a thing I, I, I uh, quoted earlier, which was 
Samsung spending on such things as employees bonuses, which we talked about, and marketing for its smartphone business. So, you know, firms have got large advertising budgets that are eating into their profits. That suggests perhaps they're not perfectly competitive. So I'd suggest it's a, I don't know, an oligopolistic market, really, I suppose. Yeah. And um, getting profits from one area and putting them into another area. Do you know what that is? Subsidization. Yeah. I mean, mean? yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not, I mean, the Samsung phone, smartphone industry uh, market is hardly failing, but um, it's an interesting one where they're moving profits around to using the microchip profits to help advertise the smartphone ones. I assume there's more advertising in smartphones than there is for microchips. Yeah, I would assume so. I would assume so. You need it for, you know, to appeal to retail customers. So they're going to be more responsive to to those marketing campaigns. Mm. Okay. Um, Well, anyway, yeah, I thought that was an interesting one. Um, uh, But yeah, good on on Samsung with their enormous profits as a result of um, increased demand for for tech, currency changes and uh, their own own, uh, management decisions. Is, uh, do we talk about interrelated markets on our syllabus? Mm, no, not really. It kind of it, there's a little bit on it early on in theme one, but not really. Just say the idea that the implications of this chip shortage is seen. You, I forget how many things have a microchip in, but like the, for example, the car industry is massively struggling to make more cars because cars need microchips these days, don't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so kind of the supply chain issues that, that derive from that uh, mm. and the knock-on impact to, to the supply curves of all reliant markets. Um, mm. Yeah, it's going to be really, really far-reaching um, to everyone except people who don't have mobile phones and don't have cars. Um, I don't know if that's much of our listenership. Um, well, we are quite wide-reaching, aren't we? Our, our reach is international, so you never know. Yeah, you never yeah. Know. true. Okay. Um, hello to any any cavemen out there who are listening. Right. Um, Shall we move on to theme four? Last theme but four. not least. Yeah. So, twenty twenty two. We're keeping it consistent and punchy. So we're already on the last one. Um, so this is macroeconomics again. So big picture stuff. It's like the whole economy and the whole economies. And back to Britain again. Uh, I was reading the economist as I do, and Britain's economy does not lack oomph, but productivity is lagging. <clears throat> so it's talking about the labour market in a post-furlough, post-COVID world, and talking about the flexibility of the labour market. So it says how when people are on furlough, there are a lot of fears that they're on furlough. As soon as that stops, they're going to lose their jobs, and there's going to be this swathe of unproductive workers not doing anything and not contributing towards the economy. But actually, it uh, wasn't the case. And we've also seen lots of workers switching jobs. So the share of workers switching jobs rose to a record high of 3.2%. And this was driven by people resigning rather than being dismissed. So people are switching from uh, failing or um, unproductive businesses to more productive businesses. And it made me think, how would you if you could measure the flexibility of a labor market? Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, why do you want a flexible labor market? Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, who benefits from a flexible labor market? Is it, is it workers? Is it firms? Who's, you know, why, who's, 
who stands to gain from that? I mean, you, you're, you're, a, you're an example of a flexible worker, aren't you? You've changed occupations. I've changed occupations, you could say. Yeah, yeah. So um, you want to have a flexible, a flexible labour market so that individuals can find work that, you know, that gives them a better quality of life. Um, and that might be through pay, it might be through other types of benefits, it might be through their own life choices, whatever it is, but you want people having the best quality of life they can. So if individuals can make those choices, then brilliant. But you also want firms being able to draw from, from a pool of people with flexible skills where their, their demands within the labour market can be more readily met. Um, so firms stand to benefit from it as well. So I think, you know, a flexible, flexible labour market is more beneficial for both workers and firms and then ultimately the government as well, because a more flexible labour market will have a lower level of unemployment. So you've got two economies, same size, same number of workers, same number of workers in work and out of work. How do you measure the flexibility? How can you tell that that labour market is more flexible than that one? So are you going to look at, do you think the responsiveness, the level, how swiftly levels of unemployment can rise and fall? Um, Is that not just demand, maybe? Yeah, that's the thing. It could be, that could potentially be looking at, at how quick, how, how, how large the, the excess demand would be. So... I'm trying to think of an answer that goes away from, from surveys. Um, well, think what, what issues do you have with an unflexible labour market? You've got lots and lots of structural unemployment. Yeah. So how can you measure, how can you determine what unemployment is structural? Can you do that? Is that just survey? Long-term, I suppose you could try and you could measure long-term unemployment. Yeah, I think, well, maybe, I, mean, I guess it comes down to what type of flexibility and mobility you're looking at. Is it occupational or geographical? So if it's, you know, I think geographical immobility and, and the flexibility of, of the labour market geographically, you could look at by comparing regional disparities in, in unemployment. So, you know, in the US, you could say, right, are, is there, are there states with much higher levels of unemployment than others? Does that suggest that perhaps, you know, people could or, you know, we'd like for workers to be moving from one region to another, but they're not, therefore suggesting that it's uh, an inflexible labour market. I think it's, that's, that's obviously easy to measure in terms of number of people moving from one region to another. I guess you'd have to measure differences in employment if you were looking at it in the same way in terms of occupational mobility, you'd want to look for, are there very different levels of unemployment within different uh, sectors in the economy? And if there were really large differences in levels of unemployment within sectors that weren't correcting themselves over time, yeah. that would be a way of saying, look, this is perhaps an indication that, that we don't have an occupationally mobile workforce. Yeah. Um... And what is the what do you think the government's doing to improve flexibility of its labour market? So again, I'm I'm going to go straight to the idea of mobility, but knowing that there's both geographical and occupational mobility, or well, geographical mobility, you want to increase 
the ease with which people can travel. That might be day to day through, you know, um, improving things like infrastructure. It might be through giving people the opportunity to move from one region of the country or one, one area to another more easily. Um, and that might be with laws on, on um, renting, for example, or um, laws on, on um, taxes on second home, or sorry, not on second home, taxes on, uh, on, on renting um, if people move out of their homes or whether it's uh, the rules associated with, the laws associated with how costly it becomes to actually move home. So you could try and make that all less costly. Put it to you, the uh, pandemic Zoom work from home has, has solved geographical immobility. I think it certainly improved it, um, but it certainly hasn't solved it. Yeah. I can't do my job from the Caribbean, which is a major bugbear of mine. Not yet. I reckon, no. I reckon in 10 years' time, we'll be... Um, well, this will actually, in 10 years' time, podcasting will be your main job, and you can do that from the Caribbean, I reckon. So. True, yeah. That podcasting and chip manufacturing business will be, uh, will be well be my retirement um yeah so it certainly has improved it but it's not uh, and it's still only applicable to certain industries a lot yeah. of industries but not all you know yeah, i think I more yeah it's made more industries more flexible geographically um and it's accelerated that process hasn't it but um, so that's still some some jobs you've got to be there haven't you yeah so that should lead to um, lower levels of unemployment. But your article was saying that productivity was still relatively low. Yes, it was. Um, so Britain's productivity could certainly do with some added oomph. Um, so between 1995 and 2007, output per worker, so that's a measure of productivity, grew by 2% a year, which is very similar to the other OECD countries. And then after that, over the next 12 years, Britain was only uh, increasing output per worker by 0.4%, which is less than half the average of other countries. So why do you think Britain's productivity was so much lower than other similar countries? Um... Well, Britain's had a problem with investment for quite a while. So even if you've got, you know, very productive labour force, you still need the capital there for the workers to actually be able to generate an output. Um, and I think the UK has struggled to, to generate high levels of investment for, for a number of years now. Uh, That's exactly right. it. That's exactly it. So it's saying investment was, only, was less than 1% in Britain over five years, whereas France, Germany, America was 14%. So you can see a significant... Um, significantly less investment and that's compounded the productivity issue so yes you might have this flexible labor market but if you haven't got the capital for them to work with then you're still going to have this productivity issues yeah yeah and that's been a major productivity has been a productivity puzzle as, it, as it's yeah. always kind of named it's been a major issue for the uk for a long time um right well i think um that's that's a wrap for us joe um, is, that a, um, is that oh no Greg oh I was going to make a <laughs> insert Greg related pun wrap they don't do wraps do they they call them bakes don't they They're, they have a steak bake chicken bake and a, there is a veggie bake um, that um, I usually get 
you could say we've rolled on to the end no uh <laughs> uh that pod fresh out the oven no yeah, yeah. something, something let's, let's get our listeners to make their suggestions for bakery related economics puns uh we can we can open things up with that next time ah. you've got yeah you've got my uh my mind going there okay i've just ruined your weekend um, <laughs> <laughs> well thanks very much joe and um i'll see you next month yeah, see you next month for our pre-arranged, scheduled podcast of season two. So season two, episode three. I'll see you so, then. Nice one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Go well. Uh, right, let me just stop.